What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host. I am your pal. I am the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And hey, you can find the show on your smart device in the car. All you have to do is say, hey, play podcast Locked on Vikings. And that'll work on just about any smart device. Even cars sometimes have these built in nowadays. And it'll save you a whole bunch of clicking around in a podcast app or scrolling down or trying to figure out if you downloaded it or not. Just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. We also have a survey going on. This is kind of a good time of year for all of the Locked On podcasts to get some feedback from the fans about the season and how they're covering things and how their content is and what they can do better or what what the people want that they're not doing at all. Uh, And I started kind of near the end of the season, but all that still applies to me, and I would love to see your thoughts. So head on over to LockedOnPodcasts.com slash survey. That's LockedOnPodcasts, plural podcasts, dot com slash survey. And if you do the survey, you get entered for a chance to win a $250 Vivid Seats gift card. That is uh, no small deal. That would basically pay for a ticket or two to a game. So even if you pop by and just say, hey, it's pretty good, you will still get entered to win the gift card. It's probably worth your time. Uh, Moving on, we are still doing the pain bracket. Unsurprisingly, the 1998 championship beat up on the Herschel Walker trade, but now we are going to go back into the olden days. This week, we are going to pit the Super Bowl eleven, the final Super Bowl that the Vikings were in in the 70s and the most recent one that they've been in, Super Bowl eleven against the Raiders, against the 1975 Divisional against Dallas, the original Hail Mary, the Drew Pearson pushed off game. I know there are a lot of people who are alive to watch that one that are still mad and will contend to this day that Drew Pearson pushed off and they'll fight with any Dallas fan tooth and nail over it. Uh, so which one hurts more to think about the Super Bowl? or the divisional playoff. They happen one after another, so it'll be interesting to see which one goes off. I think one is more controversial, but the other one was a Super Bowl versus a divisional round, and I mean, I wasn't alive to see those teams, so it's hard for me to say, like, which one had a better chance to, like, get a ring or whatever. So make sure you go vote in that. Uh, The links to all the stuff I just talked about are in the show notes, so make sure you check all that stuff out. And now we can move on to the meat of the episode. So there's really not a lot going on in the way of Vikings news. There's a lot of news around the league. The Antonio Brown situation in Pittsburgh is getting absolutely wild, and the contracts there are insane. I think right now they're experiencing, like, the repercussions of having, like, bad contracts. And we we actually talked about this. There's a lesson we can learn. So I do want to talk about this whole situation. So if you remember last offseason... Uh, If you were paying attention to the Steelers or just to national football media at all, Le'Veon Bell was kind of in headlines a lot because he was basically threatening to hold out. He wanted a new contract. I believe he was going into the last year of his contract and he wanted an extension and he wanted more money and he thought he was worth it. And the Steelers were kind of digging in their heels and there was kind of a standoff there. This is a pretty common situation. A lot of teams deal with this. The Vikings are kind of in a much more polite version of that standoff with Anthony Barr and have been for the last year, except Anthony Barr was like a good enough person to not hold out about it. So it culminates in the Steelers franchise tagging Le'Veon Bell, which if you're unfamiliar with how the franchise tag works or you just hear it said, but you don't know what it is, basically it it means we're going to pay you a one-year deal 
that is the average of the top five contracts at your position. So average of the top five running back contracts. We're going to pay you that for a year. It's a pretty expensive option. And to pay for that, they employed one of the tricks we've talked about a lot on this show, which is converting Antonio Brown's salary into a signing bonus. So they give him, you know, his whole year's salary right there in his lap right at the moment. And then they basically convert that whole year's salary into a prorated bonus over each remaining year of his deal. And we've also talked a lot about kind of the risks of that because, A, you're kicking the can down the road, right? You're now making other years that much more expensive and and making it more difficult. And sometimes spreading it out can help. I mean, I advocated for doing that with Daniel Hunter, who has five years left on his deal and adding, I think it would be like two and change to each one of those years wouldn't be that bad. It's a lot more difficult with somebody like Antonio Brown, who only had three years to do that to. So it's a pretty big inflation over those three years. And the other thing is, because you've already paid the player, you can't get out of that cap space. That is locked in dead money. No matter what happens, you are on the hook for that cap space in those years. So fast forward to right now, Antonio Brown appears to be very unhappy in Pittsburgh, and he is talking about a trade, and he's talking, you know, there's all these rumors about how, like, he's sick of being the scapegoat for things going wrong or whatever, and he posts on Twitter, like, a farewell Pittsburgh video, and goes, according to Adam Schefter at least, goes into the front office of the Pittsburgh Steelers and says, trade me. I'm not playing for you. And the Steelers are again digging in their heels and saying, like, no, you're under contract and it's not up to you whether or not you get traded. And you get this standoff where now Antonio Brown could hold out or something like that, or or there could be all kinds of drama there. And if the Steelers dig in, they basically just have to hope that Antonio Brown capitulates because they can't really get rid of him without great cost to themselves. Because unlike guaranteed money of contracts, like say the Vikings traded Kirk Cousins, there's a no trade clause in his contract, but say, I don't know, there's a a bitterness and he waves the no trade clause and they trade him to Tampa Bay or whatever. Tampa Bay would be able to take over the guaranteed money that the Vikings are on the hook for because they haven't already given it to him. So Tampa Bay could say, okay, we'll pay you that guaranteed money. And and that works out for the player because he still gets his money. And, and that's kind of like how the trade would work. But with this like sa- signing bonus little trick, you've already paid the money. So if, you know, the the... Steelers traded Antonio Brown to, say, the Buccaneers or whoever, the Bucks actually wouldn't be on the hook for that money. It would still be on the Steelers. So they would just be paying Antonio Brown to play for another team. So they're kind of stuck there. And he's got three years. He's got a huge cap hit. They can't really cut him. They can't really trade him. And, and they're in this really, really tough spot. And that's kind of the risk that you take when you employ that move. And it's fair to say like, okay, you know, it's not that big of a risk. You know, how often does a player, you know, get that bitter with your franchise that they're like posting farewell videos and everything like that. But that's not always the only reason that you're going to want to get rid of somebody you guaranteed a lot of money to. You know, what if they get injured and then they don't come back from it? Or if they just regress, Player football players regress all the time. Players that we really thought were good and knew of as good suddenly just like can't play. I think Joe Flacco comes to mind as a guy like that who really got a whole bunch of guaranteed money because he was playing really well from like 2012 to 2014, you know, the Super Bowl year and all that. Like he was playing amazingly and in the last three or four years, he's been putrid and like benched for Lamar Jackson and everything and they're just stuck with a really bad contract. So therein lies the risk, right? Even with somebody like if you asked in 2013 or 2014, you know, still fresh off the heels of that Super Bowl victory, hey, you know, is Joe Flacco overpaid? People would laugh you out the door. But nowadays, you're laughing at the Ravens for having such a bad contract. There's always risk involved in these things. And when you use that like signing bonus, 
like salary conversion trick, you compound that risk and you double down into that risk. It'll be interesting to see how all this plays out, but I really don't see a good scenario for the Steelers that doesn't involve Antonio Brown just like giving up. And I don't know if that'll happen. But that'll do it for uh, that little off-topic thing. We're going to talk a lot more about the Vikings now. Speaking of risk and disgruntled faces of the franchise, there's been a little bit of talk this week about Adrian Peterson, and I kind of wanted to touch on that and just his career and stuff. I haven't talked about it a lot on this show, and I think this would be a fun time to do it. And I also want to talk about traits. We're getting into draft season and even free agent season where, where we're really talking about like evaluating whether or not players are good, and I think it's important to step back and talk about the process, especially with quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, who's kind of all the rage right now. Like, let's talk about what are we looking for in a quarterback and and how, what can we look at to determine if they're good or if they're a mirage. So that is going to be kind of the meat of this episode. But first, I do have to step away for an ad break. And when we come back, we'll talk about Adrian Peterson. Okay, we are back. So let's talk a little bit about Adrian Peterson. There's been some discussion about like, hey, would you want Adrian Peterson back? Uh, Rest assured, I haven't seen any reporting or heard anything from the beat writers or anything like that about like any interest in that. In fact, I think the only reporting going on is that Washington's really interested in re-signing him. So this is purely a hypothetical, but it's an interesting one. And it all started when Terrell Davis, I think it was on Good Morning Football, somewhere on uh, NFL Network, Terrell Davis, who is very familiar with the Kubiak, Rick Dennison offense, he, he ran in kind of the first iteration of it and it got him to the Hall of Fame said all right you know it's time for Adrian Peterson to return to the Vikings I think it might have even been like a bold prediction statement but he was saying like all right Adrian Peterson you know the Vikings had a bad running game Adrian Peterson go fix it so naturally it sparks the debate like hey would you want Adrian Peterson back and I I think the answer to this is always easy right and it's it's like the nice easy weenie answer is well if the price is right yeah yeah, like you you wouldn't want to overpay him but for the vet minimum yeah sure bring him in and I think that is kind of a weenie answer because like that kind of applies to every player that would qualify for the vet minimum like yeah sure bring him in for literally the cheapest a player can be like why not that probably means that they're better than whoever else you would have given that roster spot to. And it's like, yes, of course, free talent, sure. But let's go a little deeper. Like, let's say, you know, would we want Adrian Peterson to come back and be like the premier running back? And and let's just take out the context of Dalvin Cook being the guy, because obviously Dalvin Cook will be the guy. And obviously Washington's going to re-sign him anyways. But let's just say, for example, Dalvin Cook, you know, gets hurt in training camp or something. and, And would we want Adrian Peterson to be the bell cow again? And first, let's just do a quick review. Now, we talked about this in the running back and the running game review we did a few weeks ago, so go check that out to, like, kind of get this same review, but of Dalvin Cook. But basically, what I look for in a running back, because I think, like, you really have to look for what the running back himself controls to know what's separating him from his peers. So I look at, like, does he force missed tackles, you know? Or does he create in the passing game when he catches, you know check down type passes like what kind of yardage does he get on passes that only traveled two or three yards so looking at force miss tackles pro football focus actually tracks all that they look at like did you force the guy to miss and when we talked about Dalvin Cook if you remember he was like top five in that stat looking at Adrian Peterson obviously wasn't as good as Dalvin Cook but he ranked pretty well he ranked 11th in this stat of qualifying running backs which is guys who got enough snaps right he was right up there with like James Conner and Aaron Jones and Chris Carson and Carrion Johnson. Like it's reasonable company to be in. And it's something that like, if you followed me on social media for the last year, I did not see that coming. I was definitely like a doubter of Adrian Peterson. I thought he was definitely like too old. And I think on film, he still doesn't look like he has the burst he once had, but he was really able to create 
in the Washington offense. And I think it was like a really good resurgence, you know, watching him in 2017 for the Saints and Cardinals. He definitely didn't look healthy. He didn't look healthy in his last couple of years here. And maybe he's just healthy again. And he's just like got that much gas left in the tank. So it, from that angle, I would totally accept an Adrian Peterson running style. That said, I wouldn't expect it to be what we know Adrian Peterson to be and like what we remember from Adrian Peterson from, you know, 2009, 10, 11, you know, the 2000-yard season in 2012. He had a couple breakaway runs in Washington, and he looked pretty fast on those, but I don't think that's the kind of thing, you know. I, I remember in Minnesota, he was really like a famine, famine, feast kind of player that, that we got used to, like, all right, he's going to get pounded for two yards a whole bunch of the time because he just, like, eats the contact and, and he is always looking for the big play instead of just, like, taking the, the decent chunk. But when he does get the big play, it goes for a long touchdown, and, and we kind of all saw that as worth it because it was so exciting. And I don't think that big play is going to be here nearly as often. And, and, yeah, he rattled a couple off last year, and that was really exciting, but I just don't think he has those traits anymore. I wish we had athletic testing for guys like this. Like, you know, after you've been in the league for 10 years, like, try running a three cone or a 40 yard dash. It'd be really interesting to see what kind of burst he still has because I'm, I'm sure he's lost some of it, right? He's going to be what, 33. But as a veteran runner, you can really take advantage of good offensive line blocking or even mediocre offensive line blocking because you're really good at finding the hole. And Adrian Peterson's just been in the league for so long that I think he'd feel, you know, really comfortable running in that style. And he did run in a zone scheme in Washington. I believe they run as a, a zone running scheme there under Bill Callahan, so it would be a, a reasonable fit. Now, what I think you'd lose with Adrian Peterson is the passing game, and I know we had that narrative. Kind of every training camp, there was that narrative of, like, this is the year he finally gets involved in the passing game, and we kind of saw Washington use him that way. He had 25 targets. That is, like, not that much. For comparison, Dalvin Cook cleared that by his seventh game. So that was like a significant dimension of the Vikings offense. And if you recall from the receiving review, it was a really good one. The Vikings were actually really good when targeting Dalvin Cook. It was like a really high success rate. It was like a very often productive play. And Adrian Peterson, he just doesn't offer that. He never has. And I think that's kind of the future of running backs. I mean, you look at these like Sony Michels and Alvin Kamara's and these guys that like kind of tore up the playoffs and tore up the league this year. They're guys that are, you know, catching wheel routes and catching angle routes and, and like getting matched up on a linebacker and making them miss. You know, the Vikings got torched by that a whole bunch this year by like Todd Gurley. I think just league-wide as, you know, offensive lines get worse and defensive lines get better, and I think we actually see that highlighted in the AAF where, you know, you kind of see, like, what reserves are available for each of the positions, and there's this, just this huge stark difference. Passes to the running back are going to be really, really important. You're going to have to check down a bunch, lest you throw away or force interceptions. You know, we saw, like, Aaron Rodgers totally tanked his season by throwing it away every time. But when you can dump it off to a guy like Alvin Kamara or a guy like Dalvin Cook and say, all right, you're going to make a guy miss and get 10 yards— that is amazing. And Adrian Peterson, I think he can make the guy miss. He certainly could in 2018. I'm sure he'll still be at least all right at it in 2019. But there's a reason that every coach and every offensive coordinator that he's worked with has struggled to get him involved in the passing game and has struggled to, like, put him in on routes. And, I mean, part of it was because he was been he had been asked to pass block, which he wasn't that good at either. But part of it is just that he's never been that good of a route runner. And that's okay. That wasn't his game. That wasn't what made him great. But the league is changing to not need what made him great anymore. So I think if you did have Adrian Peterson in Minnesota, now if he just took over the Latavius Murray, I'm just going to be a pounder role, that'd be really cool. But in terms of like Adrian Peterson, Vikings bell cow once more, I don't think it would make the offense that much better. I think it would maybe help the run game a little, but you'd lose a really important option 
in the pass game. And we all know Adrian Peterson isn't going to come here and be a backup, right? So that is going to do it for that discussion. I'm going to step away for another quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll talk about quarterback evaluation and, and just kind of trait evaluation in general. Let's talk a little bit of process and let's just lay down some groundwork for like how we're going to start looking at these guys. See you guys in a minute. All right, welcome back. So let's talk about evaluation. Now, a lot of this is going to be about kind of centering Kyler Murray, somebody who probably won't fall to even be available when the Vikings pick, and they're not going to pick a quarterback first overall. They have Kirk Cousins, and they're locked in with him. But I think that there are lessons we can learn from this that apply elsewhere in the draft. You know, when we're talking about offensive line and the amount of bench reps they get, or when we're talking about potential tight ends and, you know, their 40 times or wide receivers and their 40 times or, you know, the athleticism of, of certain defenders we're eyeing and, you know, the Vikings might draft a quarterback later. And I think we should really talk about process in evaluation. There has been a ton of discussion about Kyler Murray. So if you're out of the loop, Kyler Murray was Oklahoma's quarterback. He was drafted by the Oakland Athletics. Uh, but he played really well for the Sooners, and there was this whole back and forth about whether or not he'd choose football or baseball. So this week he comes out and he says, I'm, I'm going to go be drafted. I'm going to be a quarterback. I'm in the NFL. Let's do this. So there's a whole bunch of excitement around him because he played really well. He was a kind of run around I, I, like a Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson-esque quarterback, but he has this crazy arm. And, you know, if you just look at any of the people evaluating him, they just gush. He's a great quarterback and projects really nicely to the NFL, in my opinion, but there's one problem. It's his size. Everybody is really hung up on his height, which I've seen everything from him being 5'10 to all the way down to like 5'6. You know, he's a short quarterback. He weighs like a buck 85. He doesn't like look the part of an NFL player. You know, you, you put him up against a guy like Everson Griffin or Daniel Hunter and they'd break him in half. So there's this like concern about durability and is he cut out for the NFL really and all that. And I wanted to talk about the philosophy of specifically quarterback height. And I think this applies to like other traits that are typically valued in draft prospects, you know, 40 times, bench press reps, all that stuff. But there's something about a quarterback's height that causes people to forget everything else they know about that quarterback. And the argument goes something like this. If you're too short, if you're, you know, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and you're stuck behind 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", offensive linemen and 6'8", tackles and all this, you're never going to see over them and you're not going to be able to know what you're doing. And if you're too twiggy or too small, like, you know, Lamar Jackson, or they said this about Teddy Bridgewater, you know, you're just not going to cut it in the NFL and you're going to, like, break the first time you get sacked. And, and that latter one, I, I can't think of an example of that coming to fruition off the top of my head. I don't know. Tweet one to me if you think of a guy that everybody said was, oh, too small and too twiggy. And then they just like couldn't stand up to the physicality of the NFL. You know, I don't think Teddy's an example because his was like a, a ligament injury that happened from a weird twist, not necessarily like not being up for the physicality. I, I'm struggling to think of an example of that. But going back to the height point... There's been a whole bunch of really interesting debates. On one hand, there are people saying that, like, listen, we measure people, there's size, it matters. You know, most of the quarterbacks in the league are of a certain size, and, and you know, NFL teams to a degree, like, know what they want, and Kyler Murray just doesn't check that box. And on the other hand, you see guys uh, like uh, PFF Sam, Sam Monson uh, from Pro, Pro Football Focus, he was really, like, spearheading a fight here that basically said, listen, he is too short to be a typical quarterback. 
but was successful in spite of that in college. Who's to say that that won't happen also in the pros? You know, these these college linemen that he's playing behind are, you know, the right size for the NFL. They're the same size as the guys in the NFL. He's going up against, like, SEC defensive linemen, like these Bama guys that are going to all go in the first round. You know, it's not like he's, like, an FBS quarterback, like, beating up on JV guys. He played against real competition, and if it worked there, why wouldn't it work in the NFL? And, and I think that that's kind of like the crux of the debate. On one hand, it's like he doesn't have this trait. And on the other hand, people say, I know, but it hasn't mattered yet. And there was a really interesting thread about correlation to this and basically like a whole bunch of things like QB height and doesn't correlate to wins and it doesn't correlate to this and it doesn't correlate to yards or EPA or anything. And and like it doesn't matter what your height is was basically the conclusion of that thread. And I'll link it in the show notes if I can find it. All this shows us that like every time you look at the data and you really compare it and like do a nice statistical study, it shows you that the height doesn't really matter. Short quarterbacks come in and do well. Tall quarterbacks come in and do poorly. It, like it doesn't seem to really help that much. But then you talk to like any player, especially guys who played, you know, and were short, they said like, yeah, no, I had trouble seeing and it totally affected things, which is a pretty classic divide, right? You like, you see the like objective results and then you hear anecdotes from people who were like on the field and in it saying, no, 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 that's not what I felt at the time. And I think all of this kind of muddies the point, right? We're trying to figure out, is Kyler Murray going to be a good quarterback in the NFL? And like really ask yourselves, take yourselves out of this conversation and ask yourselves, what do I want my quarterback to be good at? Well, he should be good at throwing the ball. That seems like a good place to start, right? He should be able to place the ball where he wants to place it. All right, that's a cool thing. We can test that at the combine. You know, we can look at that. We can have him throw some passes, see what it is. You know, we can watch tape. We can figure that out. And a lot of people are pouring over tape right now, putting together their draft guides. And we'll talk all about that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're interested in it, come, you know, closer to draft season. But like, I think we can all agree, right? That's important. I need, You need to be able to throw the ball accurately. And I think that's probably the most important thing that quarterbacks have to be able to do. Seems pretty straightforward, right? You need to have the kind of mental acuity, right? You should be able to like change a play at the line of scrimmage, go through a progression. There is actually a fairly legitimate concern that Kyler Murray, who played for Lincoln Riley, who's kind of like a hot shot offensive mind, uh, and, and he never really had to like work through a progression because Lincoln Riley did a great job of making it easy for his quarterback. And that might like, you might struggle to have that translate into the NFL. So that's something that I would definitely want to look deeper into. So we got accuracy. We have kind of like progression. I, I would say like, how fast can you think? And I don't know about you, but I care way more about those two things than I care about how tall the guy is. And notice how none of the things I talked about yet are like, how many touchdowns did you throw in college? Or how many yards did you get in college? Because I think, when, especially when you're talking about quarterbacks in the draft, production can be very informative at other positions. But for quarterbacks, like how many yards you got in the game, to me, that doesn't really help me tell how accurate you will be in the future because there's so much else that goes into your yards, right? Like, was the scheme good? Did your receivers help? Were you under a lot of pressure? Was the defense good? Where were you on the field? I'll spare you because I know I've railed on box score stats a lot on this show, but I think if you are getting wrapped up in production or even like yards per attempt or anything like that, step back and ask yourself, what is this telling me about this quarterback specifically beyond is he good or is he bad? Because I think we get so wrapped up in just a dichotomy of good and bad, and I think players are really made up of traits. Think back to the conversation we had about Kirk Cousins, uh, Eric Eager and I had about Kirk Cousins a couple weeks ago. You know, we were talking traits. We were talking about, okay, he can execute a plan. That's a trait. 
that's not necessarily he's good or he's bad because there's pros and cons to, to being like Ron Burgundy always on the teleprompter like he is. And in terms of evaluation, it's okay to like point out a trait that has pros and cons because that just describes Kirk Cousins, right? He's Ron Burgundy. And a trait of Kirk Cousins is that he's very accurate with the ball. He can place the ball where he wants to place it a lot of the time, really, no matter where it is on the field. That's an excellent trait, and it's one that he has. And then there's, you know, pressure issues and collapsing into the pocket and all that stuff. And, and we've already talked about all that, but it's like a list of traits is always going to be a better way to evaluate any player than a single number trying to quantify them like a, a PFF grade or production. And those things can be informative and they can really help us work out that list of traits, but they shouldn't stand on their own. I, I really look at that kind of thing as the ingredients, not the cake. And when you're looking at any player in the draft, especially, you know, we're going to look a ton at offensive linemen and we're going to look a ton at like skill players. We're going to look at lists of traits and then we're going to ask ourselves, do those traits match what the Vikings need? We're not just going to say, all right, this guy's good. This guy isn't. I want this guy. I don't want this guy. It's too simple and it's too reductive and it doesn't describe what we're actually getting at with these players. And I think that looking at it trait-based and then figuring out, okay, what data, you know, what film, what analysis can like support our thoughts about these traits, that's where all that stuff comes in and is really useful. But if you just boil it down to good and bad, I think you're you're bringing yourself very far away from the way that teams view it. I don't think John Dorsey and the Browns looked at Baker Mayfield and said, he's good and I like it. I think they said he's a guy who's got swagger, he's got leadership, he has a great arm, he can place the ball, and he has pocket escapability. I think they saw all those things and went, yeah, we're drafting this guy. They didn't just say he's good. And the same is going to go with Kyler Murray. If you are one of those people like the Giants, I guess, are like this, where they're going to say, no, we're not, we're not even going to put him on our draft board. He's too short to play quarterback. I don't think that's correct, but if that's a trait that you think is important, then yeah, go find a tall quarterback, and you're just going to have to be okay with the fact that you might miss out on some very good quarterbacks who have overcome being short. All in all, the point is scout the traits, bring up a list, try to describe who a player is and not just where they land on a spectrum. So that is going to do it for me today on Locked on Vikings. Go take the survey, go vote in the pain bracket. Make sure you tune in tomorrow because we are finally going to do the, uh, barring any crazy news that we have to cover, we're going to do the all offensive line mock offseason where we cut every single offensive line and see where that takes us and what kind of unit we can build if we just take it all out and start from scratch. So make sure you tune into that. Ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. It works. It's awesome. I will see you all tomorrow. Skull.